Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. Well, welcome to a very special edition of Truth and Liberty. Hi, Alex McFarland here. And if you've got a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn to John chapter 21. Now, let me ask you the question that I, I'll ask students at Karis when I'm teaching a class. I'll call out a scripture and I'll say, is that Old or New Testament? So John 21, is that Old or New Testament? Good answer. It's the New Testament. Hi, Alex McFarland here. And we're going to look at a passage in John 21, and I want to share with you three types of sheep that you'll meet along your Christian journey. And then we're going to go into the viewer mailbag, and we're going to answer a lot of questions from viewers just like yourself. And let me say two things as we get into today's program. For one, I'm very honored that you're watching, and I know on behalf of Andrew Womack, Richard Harris, and myself, we're deeply grateful for each and every one of you that watch and pray for truth and liberty. The other thing I want to make you aware of is this particular show, just this show, is a pre-record. Uh, Andrew's traveling, I'm on the road traveling and speaking, so we can't take live calls and questions today, but we are going to go on questions that people have sent in, and we're going to do our best to give a lot of Bible answers to some questions that are very recent. Plus, I do want to make you aware of some exciting things that are going on at Karis Bible College and through Andrew Womack Ministries. And you know, maybe you have a question and maybe you've never called in, maybe you have called in, but if you go to the website truthandliberty.net, truthandliberty.net, for one thing, there are a lot of articles there, there's a voter guide. Uh, Richard Harris and the team do our best to keep you up to date on what's going on in the world spiritually, culturally, politically, morally. And let me encourage you to go to truthandliberty.net. Uh, you can contact us through the website. Maybe you've got a Bible question or, or some other question. And uh, what you send in could be the content for a future program, and we would love to hear from you. One more thing about the website that you can become a subscriber. Many of the people who do call in, uh, I'll look on the monitor and it'll have the name and the state. And in parentheses, they'll very often say a subscriber. When you're a subscriber to Truth and Liberty, uh, you get updates. Richard Harris regularly sends out emails of stuff. And, uh, you know, I like to think that I'm pretty much on top of the news and routinely I'll get the Truth and Liberty email and it'll be something that, you know, maybe I didn't even know, breaking news. So go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe. And we would love for you to join the growing family of people all around the world that are getting news and getting a biblical worldview through the content here at Truth and Liberty. And we're just so honored that you're a part of this. And we're thanking God that really just a massive movement is being raised up. A movement, obviously, number one, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and how people can be born again and know the Lord, but also people that will 
uh, no truth. And I think about like what 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says that we are to do. Those of us that we've, we've been saved, we're feeding on the Word of God. We're filled with the Spirit of God that we are to respond to the untruths of this world. And we pull down every argument. We cast down imaginations and everything that sets itself up above God's revelation. That's what we're doing. We're, we're elevating truth and the one who is the foundation of truth, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you would turn to John 21, and I want to talk about three kinds of sheep. But first of all, some exciting stuff going on here at Karis Bible College in Woodland Park, Colorado. For one thing, March 7 through 9 is the men's advance. And uh, Andrew is going to speak. Now, there's some scheduled speakers, but I want to encourage you to check the website for the most current roster. And that's awmi, uh, I'm sorry, awmi.net slash events. AWMI.net slash events, as in Andrew Womack Ministries International.net slash events. Now, people like Todd White, uh, Billy Epperhart, amazing, Jeremy Pearson, and others. Now, I got to tell you, I've been to my share of men's conferences. I'm old enough, you might remember this, the promise keepers, the, the million Christian men that were at the Washington Monument two and a half decades ago, I was there. And uh, oh my goodness, I've been to some men's events, but last year I went to men's advance and it was just powerful. And I gotta tell you, um, men, I hope you'll make plans to come. That's March 7 through 9, uh, but maybe, uh, some wives and godly women are watching and you want to encourage uh, your husband, your sons, your pastors. Uh, it's been said by so many people, uh, the Barna Research Group, George Barna, he's a friend, I've interviewed him, and uh, uh, the Pew Forum and so many different groups that measure sociological trends. Look, everybody agrees, if God would get a hold of the men of this country, if we would have just this renaissance of Christian men loving the Lord, loving their spouse, providing for their family, raising their family in the ways of God, if God would get a hold of the men in our nation, it would be transformative. And men's advance will touch your life forever. It really will. There's incredible music. There's incredible fellowship. I think about last spring I was at Karis in the big auditorium, and there, I don't know, 3,000 men there singing Amazing Grace and praising Jesus. And I'm telling you, the power of God in that room was just so, so undeniable. So I want to encourage you to pray about being at Men's Advance. And uh, if you've been here, you know it's amazing. If you've never been, now I lived in Colorado Springs eight years. Super, super easy to get here. If you fly into the Colorado Springs Airport, it's just about a 40-minute drive up the hill. You're in Woodland Park. You're at Karis. If you fly into Denver, which is 65 miles north of Colorado Springs, again, easy peasy. Uh, you just fly to Denver, get a car, drive down here, some of the most beautiful scenery that you'll ever see, and then some of the most powerful encounters with the Lord Jesus. In, in your life. The other thing I want to make you aware of is King David. 
This is March 29 and 30. Now, if you've ever seen any of the, uh, the plays put on by the drama department at Karis, led by Elizabeth Murin, uh, listen, Broadway wishes they could do things this impactful and powerful. King David, uh, David, King of Jerusalem, this is March 29 and 30 at Karis. And again, go to awmi.net slash events. And uh, somebody said to me, I was on the road preaching, and somebody said, you are always so enthusiastic about Karis Bible College. And that's true. I am. Uh, just moments ago, I was teaching in front of probably 500 students. I was teaching Biblical Worldview Part 2. And the reason I'm so excited and the reason I'm telling everybody, check it out. Come out here. Uh, for one thing, if you attend one of the conferences, you're just going to be blessed and your walk will be deepened. Your heart will be empowered and inspired. But if you're looking for Bible education, and you want to, whether it be for ministry or business or practical government, I mean, there's so many uh, tracks and concentrations, but it might just be for personal enrichment because you just want to get to know the Lord Jesus more closely. And you know the key to your relationship with the Son of God is your ingesting the Word of God. Charis will change you forever. It just will. And so check it out. And I always tell people this, if you visit the campus one time, you'll be sold. Well, we've got a lot of questions we're going to answer from the uh, viewer mailbag. But uh, right now, let me share a little bit out of uh, John 21. And I want to pull out the three sheep that you'll meet in the context of ministry. You remember um, Jesus had risen from the dead. And the last time we saw Peter, he had been denying the Lord. Do you remember that? And uh, they said, aren't you with him? And Peter cursed. It's such a beautiful thing. And I want to put this out there that our God is the God of second chances and third and fourth chances. And in Mark 16, verse 7, the women go to the tomb and the tomb is empty, right? And they said, he is not here. He is risen, as he said. And the angels told the women, Mark 16, verse 7, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is risen. Isn't that something? And Peter. See, here's the thing. Uh, the last time we had seen Peter, he was denying the Lord, cursing the Lord. And yet on that first Easter morning, the angels said, hey, and tell Peter the good news too. Now hang with me, and then we've got a very special part of the program we're going to change to. But you remember in John 21, Jesus um, cooked them fish and said, come and dine, right? See, one of the questions we get, people say, will we eat in heaven or in our glorified state? Will we eat? Yeah, I think so. Uh, in Luke 24 and in John 21, uh, they're eating fish that Jesus cooked. And, and Jesus cooked fish and honeycomb and bread. So apparently we're going to eat seafood. But after they had dined, this is John 21, 15, and then we're going to bring up a guest. But they had dined. Peter says, Simon, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. All right, John 21, 15, feed my lambs. Okay. Then they go on. Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, that's Peter. 
do you love me? And he says, yea, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says in verse 16, feed my sheep. And then again, do you love me? And Peter's grief says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And verse 17, feed my sheep. All right, now hang with me here because I want to talk about three kinds of sheep you're going to meet along the journey of Christianity. I noticed it says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep in the English translation. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a reason for that. So I looked in the Greek lexicon and I noticed there are three different words in these verses, John 21, 15, 16, 17. The first that's translated lambs is the Greek word probata, P-R-O-B-A-T-A. The second word in verse 16, feed my sheep, and I'm sorry, the first is arnia, then probata, then probaton. So the first word for lambs is arnia, A-R-N-I-A, arnia. Then verse 16 is probata, P-R-O-B-A-T-A. Then in verse 17, probaton. Well, I looked these up. I did a word study. Now notice this, and it's powerful. The first where Jesus says, feed my lambs, is a reference to a newborn baby lamb just delivered, it's a little lamb, it's alive, but it's vulnerable. It needs care for it to survive. Very uh, perhaps prone to uh, some sickness or some predator. A newborn, just delivered baby lamb is alive, but needs care to thrive and mature. The second word of verse 16, uh, feed my sheep, and that's the word probata. Now that's a sheep, it's grown up. It's definitely a sheep, but it, uh, left to its devices will wander away. Isn't that something? Will wander off. Now the third propaton in verse 17 means a mature sheep that doesn't have to be fenced in. Even if the shepherd isn't immediately nearby, the, the propaton, that sheep of John 21, 17 will not wander away. Now here's my point. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. A newborn lamb, we've all met newborn baby Christians. In fact, if you're a believer, there was a time when you and I were a newborn, just, just born baby Christian. Then there's the time like probata, verse 16, a sheep, it is a sheep, but if it's not looked after, will wander away and will either harm itself or fall into harm. You know, there's no hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's the old hymn, come thou fount of every blessing. And then the final, the mature sheep that is going to do whatever it takes to stay near the shepherd. Okay, look, in the course of ministry, you'll minister to all those people. In fact, at one time or another, you and I have been all of those people. Isn't that something? So let's be not just the lamb that stays vulnerable, but the sheep that matures, not the one that will wander off, not the one heeding its own voice, but listening to the shepherd's voice, the, the sheep that stands strong. And just like Jesus said to Peter, uh, we are to feed those sheep and care about the body of Christ. Well, this is Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here. It's a pre-recorded edition of Truth and Liberty, uh, but we've got a great show, and we're going to bring up a very special guest right now. 
Andrew Boston. He is an American author, a medical doctor, a retired associate professor of medicine at Brown University Medical School, and he is a voice of analysis and critique of Islam. There's a lot I could say about his incredible bio, uh, working with uh, Daniel Pipes and writing and publishing, and he authored a book, The Legacy of Jihad in 2005, an analysis of jihad and terrorism, and uh, he's warned people in the West and in America about Sharia and totalitarianism that Islam is all about. And I just want to say how much I appreciate as we're going over some, I think, incredibly relevant topics. Uh, Dr. Uh, Bostom, thanks for being on Truth and Liberty. And uh, I, I've got to ask, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Is it Bostom? Yes, yes. And, th and thanks for having me on, Alex. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time on the Truth and Liberty broadcast, but even more importantly, I appreciate uh, the work you're doing to proclaim truth about the topic of Islam. What led you into this uh, area of study? Um, I, I was really, it was really the 9-11 attacks um, and uh, the aftermath and a lot of the, a lot of the apologetics that, that I heard uh, that just didn't jibe with, um, with, you know, with the reality, not only of those attacks, but other things that, that I was seeing. And I wanted to understand the, um, the uh, Islamic theology, the history behind the attacks, and that led me into um, the first book that I wrote, which was The Legacy of Jihad. And I was particularly interested in, in how um, jihad it's a conquering system, how, how the Muslim conquerors dealt with the non-Muslim populations that were conquered, particularly the Christians, but also also Jews and uh, animists, uh, Zoroastrians, Hindus, Buddhists. Um, and it was, um, it was uniformly bleak, it was is what I came yeah. to understand, um, a very yeah. oppressive system to impose Islamic law on these subjugated populations. You know, things that were not unusual in terms of, uh, you know, um, armed uh, conquests, uh, uh, massacres, pillages, enslavement. Um, but it was really, it was really a, a sort of a, 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 an ancient form of totalitarianism in terms of the legal restrictions uh, that, that were imposed, and it was not at all like this romanticized notion of tolerance. Uh, right. Not at all like it. Yeah, and, you, you know, in the aftermath of 9-11, and I, I well remember that day. In fact, I remember it seemed like that day went on for 48 hours, but I remember uh, just within a short time after the towers falling and the uh, plane hitting the Pentagon, just incessantly in the news, we were told repeatedly ad infinitum that Islam is a religion of peace. And uh, jihad is not the war on the infidel, but jihad is the personal struggle. Um, right. You know, right. even at that well, it time. Is, it is, it is, it is, it is, um, it is peace in this sense um, that uh, you, once, once you submit the world to a global Islamic order, you know, that, that, that's supposed to be a peaceful period. Um, but how you get to that end, and we still haven't gotten there, thank goodness, um, is through very violent and bloody means, uh, and, yeah. and th through the jihad. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, but it's almost like the extortion of a, uh, of a person who breaks in your house, you know, uh, do what I say and I won't kill you. I mean, that's okay. not really a peace one would desire, is it? No, and the idea that, that I mean, some of, some of, the, um, some of the colonization uh, of, of non-Muslim areas, uh, particularly a place, in, at least initially, like Indonesia, uh, was, was through um, trade and proselytism. Um, but most of the conquests, certainly the initial 100-year period of, of, of lightning conquests, were very violent and very bloody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you happen, in the aftermath of 9-11, did you come across uh, the book by Samuel Huntington, The Clash of Civilizations? Yes. Yes, it was. I, I actually, I actually felt that, you know, and he was a brilliant political scientist, and I actually yeah. felt that um, his his understanding, he put it uh, succinctly: uh, Islam's bloody borders, and and yes, uh, and he was talking to the to the the conflicts between Muslim and non-Muslim societies that 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 bordered Islamic societies, um, and then also the the, the constant strife within within Muslim societies. Um, yes, and I thought you know it was it was a very politically incorrect uh, thing for him to do, but but Huntington was a very politically incorrect guy. He was yeah. he was he was part of a, an older an older breed uh, that that didn't really care. They pursued their academics and and they and they stated their conclusions as they saw them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, he had some very interesting tabulations for how disproportionate uh, violence was as a means of settling political disputes. Uh, um, comparing uh, Muslim to non-Muslim societies. Yeah, and, and folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Andrew Bostom, uh, a, an incredibly accomplished thinker and communicator talking about Islam. Um, I want to stay on that book for just a moment because I remember, um, and I'm not name-dropping here, but uh, Chuck Colson was a close personal friend, and it was Chuck Colson that recommended that book to me as, you know, we were doing a, a fair amount of media after 9-11, and, you know, we were just told incessantly that Islam is a religion of peace. And, you know, I had studied Islam in seminary, and I knew that it was a different worldview than biblical Christianity. I knew it was a different gospel. Uh, but the more I researched it, and I read that book and many others, I was uh, struck by this realization my goodness, we're being lied to. Now, all of that to set this up, um, Huntington was a Harvard professor for over 50 years. And you're right, he didn't care about being politically correct. I mean, he was a scholar who did the research and laid the cards on the table. Uh, but nowadays, um, Harvard especially has been, their objectivity and their scholarship has been compromised by wokeness. Um, we're, we're 20 years removed from 9-11, 24 years actually. How concerned are you about the way that wokeness, spin, and narrative shaping has impacted uh, the classroom? Oh, it's it's um, it's abhorrent. Uh, you, you know, I, I I could see this, and actually, I think it takes place before these uh, kids get to college. I think it's happening um, in our in our um, in our in our intermediate and and, and high schools, um, particularly when it comes to the to the pedagogy about Islam. Um, so I grew up in New York State, and um, about well, it's about. 
14, 15 years ago, um, I was asked, I was sent some materials about the New York State Regents exam. Now, these are exams that, that high school students take as juniors, seniors, um, and, it, and it, can, it can provide them with scholarships. It did for my wife and I, and it helped us, you know, helped us uh, go to college and ultimately to medical school. Um, and it was a very, it was a pure merit system. Uh, and um, I, I, was, I was asked to review materials in history, and uh, it was about, about Islam versus other religions. And it was just appalling that, you know, the, the, the Islamic component of what these kids were taught was pure apologetics. And, yeah, uh, For Islamic apologetics. Yes, yes, whitewashing, whitewashing of the jihad. Uh, and 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 being harshly critical of of uh, of, of uh, Western imperialism and and and, and Christianity and you know and they're, and they're sort of conflated together um, and uh, it, it was just shocking to me. I mean, no, I mean you know conquests are conquests. Uh, they yeah. man man is wolf to man uh, during during periods of conquest and. And if anything, you know, the Islamic conquests were amongst some of the bloodiest in, in human history. And it was completely whitewashed, and Islamic slavery was completely whitewashed. Um, uh, but uh, it, it, it was really quite an eye-opener. And the kids had to repeat uh, this apologetics if they wanted to get good grades, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. Yeah. So it begins. It begin. It begins early. There was a striking in 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 the legacy of jihad. I, I included this uh, because I, I think you know it obviously extended to higher education. Um, this this whitewashing of of Islam. Um, but uh, there was a a very good French scholar. Um, he was an uh, he was an odd fellow, and he started out as a Marxist and um, uh, eventually eschewed Marxism. Um, and but he was always an honest scholar about about. Uh, Islam. His name was Maxime Rodinson, and he wrote something in 1974. And based, on, you know, the way he the way he context uh, contextualizes it, uh, you get you get a feeling this was going on before 1974. But he said when it came to the teaching about Islam, he said, "quote Understanding has given way to apologetics, pure and simple." And, yeah. And and that was 50 years ago. So you can imagine the generations that have come through. Um, and now you're seeing it with this diversity, you know, equity uh, stuff that 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 is that is part and parcel where, you know, the colonizers uh, versus versus those uh, colonized. And, and of course, you know, there's this glaring lacoon about about Islam, which was an imperial uh, imperialistic system par excellence and, and massive colonization across uh Across the Middle East and and, and Africa and, and and Asia and, and Europe, um, and and so so these kids are not their 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 perspective is that you know Muslims cannot be considered colonizers only victims, you know centuries and you know later of of, of European colonization. It's it's mm -hmm. just it's completely warped. Uh, so many questions that I want to ask you. Folks, we've got a brief break coming up. By the way, if you're just tuning in, this is Truth and Liberty. And you can keep up with all that we're doing, the articles we're posting. You can watch this show again. It's archived. You can share a link with somebody. And the website is truthandliberty.net, truthandliberty.net. If you want to keep up with all that we're doing, you can go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe. And we would uh, be very pleased for you to do that. Uh, Dr. Boston, before we take a brief commercial break, do you have a website? 
uh, to recommend, or where, where may we find you online? Yeah, I, I, I'm very active on, on Twitter, uh, just at Andrew Boston, all lowercase. And then um, my website is, is just um, uh, www.andrewbostom.org. B-O-S-T-O-M, andrewbostom.org. And um, so uh, let me encourage you to do that. And again, The Legacy of Jihad, which came out in 2005, is that, have you written other books as well? Yes. Um, so uh, I've, I've written, uh, my, my most extensive book was The Legacy of Islamic Anti-Semitism. It came out initially in, in, um, in 2008, and I did an updated edition uh, in, in 2020. I've also wow. written Sharia, Sharia versus Freedom, mm -hmm. uh, then a book about about Iran uh, called, called Hold that thought. Forgive me. Forgive me. We've got a break here, folks. This is Truth and Liberty. We're back after this. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Andrew has many conferences and seminars around the globe each year. For the latest information on Andrew's complete speaking schedule, visit our website at awmi.net slash events. You were created with a purpose. Written in the heart of God. Long before you were born, He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here. We're going to resume our conversation with Dr. Andrew Bostom here in just a moment. But I want to make you aware of a couple of things uh, that I'm doing. I'm on the road. And as you know, uh, we do summer camps every year. Uh, and the website for my biblical worldview camps is equipretreat.org. Spelled just like it sounds, equipretreat.org. Dot org, and we're, we're in six states, plus uh, my wife and I will be at Summer Family Bible Conference at Karis, but we're in Montana, New Jersey. Now, we talk to kids about God and country, obviously the Lord Jesus Christ and being a believer. Uh, and we talk about apologetics and defending the, the core beliefs of Christianity. Who is God? Why is the Bible trustworthy, the inspired Word of God? What about Jesus? What makes Jesus unique? But our camps are a little different in that we unashamedly talk about America. We teach kids something called American exceptionalism and why we should care about the, the United States in the future. And we, we inspire kids, middle school, high schoolers. We've got great speakers, many of whom I've worked with for 
15, 20 years. The website is equipretreat.org for middle school and high schoolers. My challenge, invest a week that will count for a lifetime. And then also, I'm so excited about this, the Billy Graham Training Center, The Cove in Western North Carolina. I'll be there July 12th through 14th teaching 1 John, your identity and your authority in Christ. So uh, when we're talking about summer camp, you, you may say it's summer camp for the grown-ups too, but it's uh, not a tent. I assure you the accommodations are very posh, very nice. The food, five-star chef, it's just amazing. But the fellowship as we join together with uh, people from all over the West, all over America, uh, we'll drill down deeply into the Word of God We'll pray, we'll interact. Uh, you will not be disappointed. So the website there is thecove.org, T-H-E-C-O-V-E, thecove.org. Just put my name in the space bar, Alex McFarland, and I'd love to see you there July 12th through 14th. Well, right now I'm just very honored that we've got um, a first-time guest, and uh, certainly we'll be inviting him back, Dr. Andrew Boston. You can find him on Twitter, uh, at Andrew Bostom, B-O-S-T-O-M, and of course online, Andrew Bostom is his website. Uh, uh, forgive me, is it .com or .org? Uh, .org. .org. Uh, you know, before the break, we were talking about um, really the whitewashing of the record of history. And look, you know, America is a pluralistic country, at least in the sense, I mean, you you can be a Christian or you don't have to be a Christian. If you choose to reject the gospel, that is your prerogative. You can be uh, believe whatever you want to believe. But I think what's really concerned me, doctor, since 9-11, the foundation that has given us liberty, stability, and I would say prosperity and security has been a Judeo-Christian worldview, but it's been so much compromised. I know businesses have had to make accommodations for uh, uh, devout Muslims that practice Sharia, um, schools that would, public schools that would not dare let in something Christian or even conservative. Uh, they bring Islamic teachings into the classroom, and I can give examples. But um, are you concerned that we've um, over-pluralized? Uh, in, instead of tolerance, there's been endorsement. And while wokeness, Islam, uh, relativism has been endorsed, Judeo-Christian conservatism has been suppressed. And the very pluralism that people uh, speak up for is really going to take away our liberties and ultimately our previously healthy pluralistic society. How concerned are you? Yeah, I'm very concerned, um, and and I think that you know there's there's been this uh, there's been this alliance between uh, the left, and the, I would say the hard left, and and um, and Islam, which is sometimes hard for people to understand. They they think they should be so incompatible. And in the end, they probably will be if history is a lesson. Uh, I mean, the um, the very retrograde uh, so-called Khomeini revolution in 78, 79, which overthrew the Pahlavi Shahs in Iran, mm -hmm. was an alliance between Marxists um, and uh, Shiite, you know, fundamentalists. 
Um, but the, 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 since Iran historically, since 1500, was had been a Shiite theocracy for about 420 years before the Pahlavi uh, secular dynasty, um, it, it had a it had much more resources in terms of the population, uh, and so Khomeini quickly, you know, had the upper hand over the, over the Marxists. It was a thin veneer of Marxism uh, in the population, and they were, you know, they, he, he treated them brutally, slaughtered, imprisoned, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so one one group or the other will eventually have the upper hand because, um, you know, they, they will they will not be able to, to stay in in in, in unity. Um, but but they but they are very they are very similar in terms of being totalitarian systems and people have noticed this uh, since uh, since the advent of communism. Um, you know there 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 were sociologists and historians who saw a striking similarity between the rise of Bolshevism and the rise of Islam and they went across the ideological spectrum. Um, from uh, G.K. Chesterton, who was a devout uh, Catholic and, and Catholic apologist, sure. To the atheist to the atheist Bertrand Russell, they saw the same thing, and, and they made the same analogy between between Mar- Marxism, Bolshevism, communism, uh, and, and Islam, and and many other scholars. Um, but but you know, so so we're seeing this. Sort of, and, and Marx himself, actually, it's very interesting. Marx himself, of course, was very anti you know anti anti traditional religion, communism. Is its own religion. It's yeah. But 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 um, but but he and this was just tactical. He was he was cheering on the tottering uh, Ottoman Empire uh, because he saw it as a means of of sowing chaos uh, against both the, both the uh, Western European powers and and uh, Orthodox Christian Russia. So he was you, you know he was. A, he was a, he was enamored of that potential alliance uh, all the way back, uh, you know, at the at the beginning of of, uh, of Marxism. Yeah, you, you know, um, uh, totalitarians are very pragmatic, and they will link arms with uh, people or groups they find useful. And, and Marxism is inherently secular. But is it fair to say? And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Sharia is almost like theistic Marxism. Is that a fair statement? I, people, you know, scholars who've, who've studied Islam and and um, and some uh, communists and ex-communists have have noted, yes, have noted that that there's again there's this striking sim- similarity in, in terms of, uh, but but both want to conquer this world. They're they're very much concerned with conquering the the corporeal, the physical world. Um, and 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 it's even 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 it's it's very interesting. I thought this was originally sort of a a, a comic a comedian's ploy, but it, it, the the um, the the Muslim profession of faith, you know, there 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 is no yeah. god other than Allah, and Muhammad, you know, is his prophet. Well, the earliest communist parties and clubs and movements in Europe. Had had a very similar credo that they had to recite. Uh, there is no God. Period. Uh, and and Karl Marx is his prophet. <laughs> and and again, I really? thought that was kind of a joke, you know, because it sounds actually kind of funny. Um, but 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 it it was actually uh, is actually something that was required to be said. I've I've seen it in, in uh, for both the early. Uh, communist socialist parties in, in, in Great Britain and, and also in Germany. Written about the, you know, that, that's really uncanny. Before, before the Bolshevik Revolution. 
Yeah, uh, because, and, and folks, if you're just tuning in, Alex McFarland here, we're talking with Dr. Andrew uh, Boston. The, the Shahada, uh, if you'll forgive my southern accented pronunciation. Okay, Shahada, whatever. I'm, it, I'm, not, I'm not great at pronouncing these words either. But, you, you know, it's funny, right after 9-11, I was on a debate on Salem Radio debating an imam from Atlanta, Georgia. And we were talking about the uh, Shahada or Shahada, however you say it. Um, this is what they would say. Uh, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And he, he said that um, that is how one becomes a Muslim. And so I asked on live radio, I asked this mom, I said, so did I just become a Muslim? But because what I asked, let me go back. I said, do you have to mean it? Do you have to? And he, he looked away reflectively. And this imam said to me, he said, uh, no, by, by saying it, you have submitted. I said, so, so I just became a Muslim? And he, he thought, and he said, yes. And I said, well, well folks. Well, well, that's, that, Alex, that actually has been used to, to very dastardly ends to, to, uh, to, to punish and in some cases to murder uh, people, uh, non-Muslims, who've, who've said that. It's it, just the way we're talking about it now. But, but in yeah. societies that speak, getting back to totalitarianism, that, that, are, that are Sharia-based societies. Just literally uttering that as part of some sort of you know, argument or discussion uh, can be grounds for saying that, well, you just, you're a Muslim and now you're saying you're not. That's apostasy. You know, we can apply the law of apostasy, punishment, you know, which is death. Sure. And, and, and that, has, that, that ploy has been used, uh, again, to very nefarious purposes to, to, to kill and imprison people. Uh, exactly. And, and I had not heard this till you said it just now, but there's this Marxist Shahada as well. Uh, there's no God and Karl Marx is his prophet. I did not know they said that. Yeah, doesn't that sound that, that really? So one great, uh, one great doyen who, who passed not, not long ago actually made a mistake. And he thought it was he, he originally wrote about it in the 1950s as, as if this were commentary, uh, you know, very, very uh, clever commentary by a comedian. And, and I thought that for a while, too. And then I went back and researched it. And it turns out that, again, communist organizations in Europe before the before the Russian Revolution required that as, as, as a statement of, of loyalty. Wow. Wow. Well, we are clearly in a battle of worldviews. And I, I want if you would and frankly, let me express how appreciative I am that you would be on the program because I I'm learning a lot just listening to you. I think for a lot of people in the United States, the, the two things that made them aware, even if only peripherally aware of Islam, uh, it, like you say, in 1978, 79, the, the Shah of Iran was deposed. The Ayatollah comes in. And uh, you remember all of the, um, the hostages that were uh, finally released on the day that Ronald Reagan was inaugurated. But the uh, I remember Terry Waite being in the news. So the other thing is Salman Rushdie, and we'll come to that. But first, let's talk about the, um, the coup in Iran. And that, for many, was the first awareness of this juggernaut called Islam. Can you explain why was that so significant? 
Well, it had been it had been it had been festering for you know, so so just just to back Chris a lot there is a lot of misunderstanding about about uh, and, and romanticization of of, of of Iran. Now, Iran had a had a had a remarkable you know pre-Islamic civilization, um, but uh, I would say uh, and that was a Zoroastrian uh, civilization. But with the with the uh, Islam was introduced with the you know Arab invasions. Um, and then uh, it was never uh, there were there were not major uh, Islamic uh, kingdoms uh, in Iran uh, until really until the the, um, the 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 beginning of the 16th century, and you see a consolidation uh, under under the Safavids, and you see a formal, very Khomeini-like uh, uh, Shiite Shiite Islamic theocracy. Uh, develop under the Safavids and continue under the Qajars, and with some interruption, there were outside invasions from Afghanistan, et cetera, um, and there were some conflicts with the Russians. But but basically, it, it, you know, it, it, Iran is a is a Shiite theocracy under the Sharia from the with the with the Shiite perspective, not not the Sunni perspective, uh, essentially for for over 400 years. So the real revolution takes place. Um, under the Pahlavi Shahs in, in the 1920s, and there's a, there's a, a, an attempt to to move towards a Western uh, secular model and, and at least desacralize uh, Islam and the control of, of the clerics. And so, really, what Khomeini does, and and that again, that was obviously uh, conflict was festering, you know, in 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 the 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, through through the eventual. Success of of the uh, of, of the Khomeiniists. Well, well let, let me interject this. The Shiite theocracy. I'm sure you've seen this. There's a comparison of photographs that I've seen online uh, of Iran, like circa 1972, and there are college-age students, females walking around in a skirt. I mean, it looks like any college campus. Around 1970, 71, 72, and then just eight years well, later, you have to, you have, to, you have to. You just one caveat to that is that that's in the major cities. Okay. Iran remained a very devout Shiite uh, society um, in in the in the outlying areas. Uh, okay. So it did. This secularization did not take hold everywhere, and this has been a pattern. You, you've seen that in Turkey too. So you had the the Ataturk secularization. Sure. But it was based, it was more a, an urban movement. The same thing sort of happened in Egypt, you know, under Nasser. Um, so a lot yeah. of these movements uh, that are that are secular um, really didn't penetrate uh, the full mass of Muslims in any of these societies. And and so there was there was always a strong impetus to reimpose, you know, more more theocratic uh, Sharia based Islam. Uh, and and Iran is is a is a is a, stri- a striking example of that. Although I would say. You know the the um, the return has been so aggressive and and so stifling that I think there is a genuine, more broad based, uh, particularly amongst the youth, uh, rejection uh, 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 of Islam. But but now it's and, and there's still many. You know, I would still say the the the, the vast majority of the population is is, is quite religious. Um, right. But I I think there there I think the base of those that have truly 
rejected um, uh, Islam, and and some some are pure secularists, you know, atheists, and uh, others are converting to Christianity. Sure, um, but 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 it's a growing movement. But I I think you know we always make the mistake of overestimating how how large that is. I think there's still a lot of support for the Sharia, if not necessarily this particularly corrupt and oppressive government. There's a lot of support for traditional Shiite Islam in, in, in Iran, and, and we shouldn't we shouldn't delude ourselves that that's not true. Okay, Sunni Shia. What's the difference? Well, to a non-Muslim, frankly, there's not a lot of difference. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of inside you know Muslim baseball. Both are extremely intolerant of of non-Muslims. Uh, the, the 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 Shiites uh, are are um, more adherent, uh, you know, when they're pious to these purity regulations that that uh, they're called Najis regulations. Uh, and and non-Muslim infidels are not only spiritually impure, they're physically impure. So in, in my studies of, of uh, the Jews in particular, but other non-Muslims in, in, in Iran, uh, again, through the, through the uh, period in the 1920s, um, there was this belief that, uh, you know, water was a vehicle for, for, the, for these impurities, physical impurities now I'm talking about. And mm -hmm. so Jews were, were prohibited from going out in the rain. Other other non-Muslims too, but it was particularly applied to the Jews, and they there's lots of uh, record of, of records of Jews uh, being beaten for for going out in the rain, uh, for fear that they could contaminate Muslims. So it's it's very mm -hmm. dark stuff. It, it, yeah. Um, and and uh, Zoroastrians who loved who had a real uh, uh, dog culture, dogs as herding animals. Yeah. And of course, you know they're considered very unclean by Muslims. Uh, they, they were they were uh, often beaten together with their dogs for violating some of these Najis regulations. So I guess this begs the question: uh, Can Islam, and forgive me for just using the broad word Islam, and I realize there are various sects, but can Islam assimilate with the West and with uh, a? a Judeo-Christian representative America can Islam assimilate? I, I, unless, unless it's a it's a very much denuded uh, Islam, so a New Age Islam, or you know, an Islam that's not really going to be accepted by the major Sunni and Shiite you know uh, teaching institutions. Um, no, I, I, I don't. I don't really think it is. I mean, there there can be ex experiments that 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 are conducted, or, or maybe are being conducted, in non-Muslim societies in Europe and in the United States. But but even those have by and large failed, and you see the diaspora populations, um, you know, clamoring for Sharia-based Islam. And Sharia-based Islam is 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 not compatible because it, it's very explicit that its goal is is not to be. An equal, it's to be a superior. Sure, um, sure. And 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 it doesn't matter if that, that takes you know decades or centuries. That's the goal. Should an American, because uh, you know, I, I got asked this question just a few days ago, but uh, you know, now that we've had um, gay marriage uh, with the Obergfell decision in 2015, you know, every group, you know, we, we've had a black president. Now, when will we have a female president? When will we have a gay or, or you know, transgender president? Well, people are asking, when will we have an Islamic president? 
can a constitutionalist American in good conscience, intelligently, can they or should they vote for a Muslim for public office? Well, I think I think if uh, I think if 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 you have a, an open discussion about uh, you know, look, if, I think I think anyone uh, can can be president of the United States uh, if if they if they are a constitutionalist. You know that that's sure. the ultimate that's the ultimate arbiter. Uh, you know, um, and you know if if uh, if a Muslim can somehow put aside. You know their their loyalty to to a Sharia-based society, uh, uh, which I think is very difficult, but yeah. it's not impossible. Then, yeah, I mean it's 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 possible, but I, but I think you know I think I think the, the suspicion is is always going to be there, um, yeah. and it's going to make and, it it's going to make it difficult. And we're not being honest about you know what's being taught in the mosques in in this country. Um, what what the what the Islamic organizations, including the so-called you know um, uh, uh, discrimination anti-discrimination uh, defense organizations like the Council on uh, American Islamic Relations, which is just purely a Hamas offshoot. I mean, you know, we if if we're if we're not if we're if we're naive or dishonest uh, and self-delusional about what the what the aims of some of these organizations are. Uh, then it's very treacherous. But 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 the bottom line is that you know, regardless of a person's faith, if they're a constitutionalist, they they should be they should be an acceptable candidate for for the president. Sure, uh, I, I just have to say, me personally, though, I don't know that we could trust that a Muslim would do that because you know, if if one has to lie to the infidel and lay low uh, till such time that you can. Act on behalf of Islam. I mean, isn't that in the, in the mindset? So be it. In fact, I had a Muslim man tell me uh, we were you well, know that's talking. Doctrine. To... That's a doctrine, Alex. I mean, that is the doctrine yeah. of Takia Kitman. It is a doctrine. Uh, but but yeah. all I'm saying is that is that outwardly, outward outward compliance with constitutional norms should be a safeguard even against that, no matter what the person feels in their heart. You know, if they're if they're going to sure. act in a way, you know, they they or or if they're going to see this as as part of a, you know, two hundred year process, well, you know, so, so be it. You know, as long as they're constrained by the Constitution, uh, maybe that'll be their delusion. It, it'll it'll never happen. But yeah, you know, the problem is now where with so many things have happened that we're we're effectively in a post constitutional state anyway. So anything is is very sad. So um, time fleets away. We've only got about five minutes. Uh, but uh, October 7, 2023, Hamas okay. attacks Israel. Yeah. Uh, frankly, I've been shocked uh, and just really, you know, dumbfounded at the, the support for Hamas, the animus against Israel. What, what are your impressions of this? It's 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 been you know as a Jew it's been it's just been shocking. I mean, as much as I've studied Islamic anti-Semitism for the last uh, twenty plus years, and and have been you know sort of a voice in the wilderness that this is the predominant form of of anti-Semitism. I mean, you know, Alex, the ADL polling data. I can't stand the ADL. They've become a completely co-opted left-wing organization. But one thing they do well, still to this day, in spite of themselves is that they developed a very simple survey instrument to gauge 
anti-Semitism globally. It's, it's, they present the respondent with 11 classical, modern, anti-Semitic stereotypes. And if the individual agrees with at least six of them, so, so the majority of them, they become appropriately an index, index, index case of extreme anti-Semitism. ADL mm -hmm. has applied that instrument for the last 20 years, literally across the world. The 16 most anti-Semitic countries in the world are all in the Middle East and North Africa, maybe unsurprisingly, where the prevalence, the commonality of that degree of anti-Semitism is anywhere from 74 to 93 percent. And the 93 percent, again, not surprisingly, is amongst the Muslims of, of Judea, Samaria, the West Bank and, and, and Gaza. But, you know, even even in Iraq, it's 92 percent. And Iraq, you know, basically pogromed, expelled, expropriated its Jewish community, uh, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, so there's no it's, it's not it's not a result of, of the, even the presence of Jews. Um, mm. I think it's the theology. I think it's the theology. But but th those those attitudes are not only being uh, instilled by the teaching institutions of Islam, the highest ones, they were also being instilled in the mosques, and we're seeing it in the diaspora populations in both Europe and the United States, where uh, it's not as high, the prevalence is not, you know, 75 to 95 percent, um, but most recently in France, 62 percent of French Muslims had this degree of anti-Semitism. There's only been one poll in the United States, uh, it was it was it was you know much lower, but still too high. It was 34 percent versus about 14 percent amongst non-Muslims. Mm -hmm. So it's disproportionate everywhere in the world. And now what you're seeing on campuses, which has really been uh, uh, horrific, is yeah. DEI is now you know since the Muslims are a protected class uh, and Islam is a protected religion. Um, it's it's just run rampant on, on the campuses, you know, coalescing with with hard left anti-Semitism. Sure. Uh, sure. So it's it's a it's a it's really it's really a toxic situation, particularly for Jewish students on campuses where they have threats from the Muslim organizations and now from from these left wing students that are just sort of useful idiots for Islam. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's been my privilege to interview uh, people from the National Jewish Federation and the uh, ministry that you might know of, Combat Anti-Semitism. And, uh, you know, let, let me just say this, and I wish we had another hour. I hope we can visit again. But on, the, on behalf of uh, myself and, you know, I've, I've spoken in 2,200 American churches, Dr. Bostom, and I can tell you tens of millions of American Gentiles, conservatives, and evangelical Christians. We love Israel. We love the Jewish people. Uh, we categorically condemn anti-Semitism in all forms. And, um, you know, my heart is heavy that you're subjected to it. It's great, you know. It's 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 incredible to to, to hear that and 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 and, uh, and to see it. I I I don't have to just take your word for it. I, I see it. I know it. Yeah. And yeah. and but but it, it's also tragic that so much of the attention of ADL, which now, you know, again, it does it does useful surveys, but it 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 it, it conceals its own data about Islamic anti-Semitism, and then sprays charges of anti-Semitism. On conservatives, on on uh, on you know you know MAGA people, whatever it is, yeah. and, and 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 ignores Islam because they fear Islam, 
And they're also trapped by their left-wing ideology that Islam is sacrosanct, that, that they yeah. can't criticize it. Uh, forgive me for jumping in. We're almost out of time. We've only got about 25 seconds. Uh, give us a website. Give us a homework assignment, a reading assignment, Dr. Boston. Yeah, um, I, I, just, I just gave a lecture about what's happened since October 7th. Uh, that that um, you can you can uh, I, I put the slides up at my website uh, andrewbostom.org. Uh, I think we're almost out of time. Forgive me, andrewbostom.org. Thanks for being with us, folks. Thanks for watching Truth and Liberty. May God bless you. May God bless America. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.